Horus believes in giant leaps. 10. We took a space-age approach to an age-old problem. 9. How do you stay warm in the elements? 8. Rather than improving on Goose Down, 7. We created something new that offered more warmth with less bulk. 6. We learned that giant leaps are made of small steps. 5. We developed an R&D program that's unmatched in the industry. 4. We seek to make better cold weather gear through NASA accredited know-how. 3. And our aim Two. is to elevate the kinds of experiences that help you rethink the realm of possibility. 1. Very aspirational in that in that regard, but you gotta think, we get most of our inspiration from NASA, so might as well literally shoot for the moon. Welcome to Touchpoints, a show where we celebrate the stories of direct-to-consumer leaders, marketers, and operators that are creating breakout brands in the digital era. I'm Yao Enning. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Malomo, a shipment tracking platform that believes in helping brands drive deeper relationships with customers. In this series, we celebrate and share the stories of individuals working at direct-to-consumer brands. Behind every great brand are great people in the trenches every day, putting in the work needed to help these brands grow and develop. We uncover ways that those people are creating unique experiences for their customers and building the next generation of DTC brands. We've got a special episode for you. We hear from Oros, a DTC brand that's using NASA inspiration to disrupt our perception of outerwear. I'd like to introduce you to Rithvik Vena. I am Rithvik Vena. I am the COO and co-founder of Oros. Um, Oros is a performance apparel brand that took a NASA space shuttle installation called Aerogel and put it in outerwear so now you can wear incredibly thin gear and be really warm. Did he just say space shuttle insulation? The story of Oros is out of this world. When Rith shared their mission at the start of the episode, you not only hear the passion behind the brand, you feel it. They're on a quest to create the warmest outerwear with the lightest profile ever. Now I don't know about you or the company you work for, but it seems like it'd be pretty easy to create a compelling narrative for your company and its mission when the technology that goes into your products is literally created to take people to the moon. But the story of Oros has been anything but easy. Riss team worked for years building the company and trying to find a way to tell the company's story in the process. In a previous episode, we heard from Camille Baldwin, the director of brand strategy for Gin Lane, one of the preeminent branding firms in the DTC space. I highly recommend listening to that episode first, if you haven't already, and then come back to this one. In that episode, Camille shares two powerful principles for brand building, having a strong point of view and communicating that point of view with relentless focus. We'll hear those principles in action as the Oros brand was actually created by Gin Lane using those same principles. Co-founders Rith and Michael were named to the Forbes 30 under 30 back in 2017. And after talking to Rith, it's pretty easy to see why. He's really humble, but extremely driven and focused on creating a revolutionary brand. Like the Apollo 11 mission that made it to the moon for the first time, Oros is trying to do something no other brand has done before. Still fairly early in their journey, we learn how Rith is building the launch pad of their brand and instilling the values of experimentation, authenticity, and relentlessness across the company. We start at the beginning, where Rith and Michael first met. So it all started when uh, 
Michael and I were both sophomores in college at small liberal arts school in Ohio called Miami University. Um, so it was the summer leading into our sophomore year and uh, Michael, who's the other co-founder, he's the CEO, he was backpacking across Europe. He did a bunch of cool things when he was out there, but he said the coolest thing he did was he climbed one of the tallest mountains in the Northeast West Alps called Santis. And when he was up, when he was up there, I think it was his first or second time climbing. And uh, so he had on, you know, all this incredible gear and he went summit of the mountain, but when he got to the top, he kind of realized that despite the fact that he was wearing all this great gear, he still felt really big and really puffy. He actually used the analogy, he kind of felt like, um, have you ever seen the movie A Christmas Story? Yes. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Um, so, so he kind of felt like, uh, you remember that scene where Ralphie's little brother comes out in that big red puffy coat goes, you know, can't put my arms down. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He, that, that's the analogy he uses. And I think we've all, we can all relate because we've all been there. Experiencing that problem planted a seed in the back of Michael's mind, but the solution to that problem didn't come to him until a bit later. That summer passed, he comes back to school in our sophomore year, didn't really think much of that problem. And uh, at the time, him and I were both pre-med. And when you're pre-med, you um, try to join a research lab with the intention of publishing some papers, you know, bettering your odds of getting into med school. Michael had joined this lab that was uh, doing some research on on a therapeutic treatment for cancer. And he had this awesome breakthrough. Through that awesome breakthrough, he ended up publishing some papers. And through, the, through those papers, he ended up getting this scholarship from NASA called the Astronaut Scholarship. Super prestigious award. And when he went to go receive it, he, uh, he started talking to them and um, just nerding out in general. And they told him about this really cool material called aerogel. And NASA told him it was the least thermally conductive solid on the planet, meaning it's the absolute best insulator known to man. And on top of that, that's the same stuff that they were using to insulate space shuttles and the Mars rover, you know, up in space, which if you guys didn't know is really, 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 really cold. Have you ever thought about how cold space is? We're all familiar with the temperature scales of Fahrenheit and Celsius, but have you ever heard of the scale Kelvin? Zero degree Kelvin is called absolute zero. It's the coldest temperature that is theoretically possible. At this temperature, atoms stop. In outer space, it's just a few degrees warmer than that. So as an astronaut, to survive, normal insulators won't cut it. NASA needed to create a technology so revolutionary to battle such harsh realities. So they invented aerogel. To Michael, aerogel seemed to be the exact material he was looking for. And so this was kind of like his light bulb moment. He's like, wait, you guys have this awesome insulation material that you use in space which is the world's, the universe's best torture test, but it hasn't yet been commercialized and used in apparel here on Earth. And why is that? So he had this, he had this thought, and uh, one day him and I were studying for an OCHEM exam at college library. And about like 30 minutes before we walk over to go take the exam, he pitches this idea to me. He's like, hey, Rith, what if we took this NASA space suit, and so space shuttle insulation, aerogel, and put it in outerwear. So now you wear incredibly thin gear that is really warm without all the bulk. And like the moment I heard it, I was hooked. I was like, yeah, absolutely, I'm in. Um, I hate being cold. Held true then, still holds true today. So, so from there, we started on this path of trying to figure out how to um, take the same tech that NASA had and repurpose it and commercialize it for use in apparel. Long story short, one of the problems with NASA's tech 
if you Google if you Google aerogel, throw it in Google Images, you'll see this blue translucent disc. Kind of looks like a translucent styrofoam. Really awesome insulation material, but it's extremely extremely brittle. We got our hands on it and found that out pretty quickly. So we realized, okay, this isn't really going to work for apparel. So we set out on, on a quest to figure out how to make this insulation material flexible and durable so you can put it into apparel, you know, things that require motion. We spent our sophomore year to our senior years just figuring out how to make this tech and, and how to create it. And uh, after sinking pretty much that entire scholarship money plus whatever money we had saved into this R&D endeavor, we um, ended up coming up with a material called solar core, which did just that. It was flexible and durable, but still had all the great insulation that Aerogel is known for. So super cool, you know, we had this tech as our senior years. We knew we wanted to make some jackets, so we reached out to um, some manufacturers. We ended up just cold calling them. I found a manufacturer that would be willing to prototype with us for free. Creating solar core was just the first of many challenging steps bringing Aerogel apparel to market. They had to figure out how to source, manufacture, and distribute the first set of products made with that technology. The first product they created? Created a minimal viable product called the, the Lupa Jacket. Tested it out both from like a, just a wear testing and then also in the lab. It worked two thumbs up. Great. At that point in time, it was uh, March of our senior years. We were about two months away from graduating. Michael and I knew, you know, we really wanted to do this, this whole Oros thing, but we needed to have some real validation before we, we jumped into it. And we decided to take it to Kickstarter with this audacious goal of doing $100,000 in 30 days. And, uh, you know, we, we, we told ourselves we'll set this, this crazy goal. And if it works, great, we'll do this whole horse thing. If not, plan B, we'll go to med school. So we launched it. And within the first 36 hours, we hit uh, 125 grand. And that really was the start of Oros, our senior years of college. Part of the reason that we ended up coming to that $100,000 goal was that that first PO was somewhere in the range of eighty-five to maybe $90,000. So we just needed that much money to produce our first run of products. Yeah, we had every single thing figured out from who was going to make it, where, where it was going to be made, how it was going to be made. Essentially, all we needed was to wire transfer some money that would officially give them the green light to work. Such an inspiring story and journey for Rith and Michael. It's a pretty big leap going from pre-med students to leaders of a high-growth apparel brand. We've now went from a team of two to a team of 14. Uh, we raised some venture capital money, and uh, the business has been growing at a minimum 2x year over year. They've got a pretty lofty vision. To create a long sleeve t-shirt that keeps you warm in sub-freezing temperatures. We think we can do that in the coming years, so that's what I think the future is. I think the future is no more, or at least very limited use of outerwear. And that vision is summed up in the name of the brand, Oros. Anytime Michael and I set out to do a task, we, we have this core common set of beliefs that we believe are required to accomplish that task. And it's, uh, it's a sacrifice, it's a sacrifice of time, blood, sweat, tears, money. Oros is ancient Greek for mountain. You know, we kind of figured that was symbolic of the sacrifice that goes into accomplishing any task, you know, that symbolic ascension up a mountain. When they were launching Oros, Ruth and Michael admittedly didn't know a lot about launching a DTC brand, let alone anything about fashion or apparel. So they leaned on their scientific background heavily to help them figure out what was working and what wasn't. 
And, you know, I think uh, one of the things that really helped us from our schooling background, being science majors, was that analytical mindset and that, uh, that ability to critically think and also having, the, having that viewpoint on the world that everything is a science experiment. Once you start to really boil things down, you realize everything really is a science experiment. Let's say you want to try a new marketing strategy. You create a hypothesis for what you think is going to happen. And then you create an experiment to, you know, A, B test it. And then you look at data and then you let the data prove or disprove your hypothesis. And then you move forward and you keep iterating until you solve the problem. I think having that, having that background from a very elementary level of science up till really applying it at like decently high research level um, allowed us to then translate that into other aspects of, of our business um, as we built Oros. And I think that that viewpoint and that frame of mind really helped a lot. Like when I say we use it in everything, I, I mean, we literally use it in everything. One place they leaned on this scientific background to build their brand was exploring what narrative and story they wanted to tell to consumers. As a new brand with new technology, creating new products, they're fighting an uphill battle capturing consumer attention. For Riff, experimentation allows him and the company to continually test the impact messaging has on its customers. As we were launching new pro a new product and as we knew we were gonna be launching more and more new products, we just have that conversation with our customers to really understand, you know, what their what their feelings were about who we were as a company and, and as a brand, um, you know, what what did they really like about us? What did didn't they like about us? And really being able to get that feedback, and I think maybe taking that a step further, we wanted to really be able to control the narrative that consumers heard about our brand, so we could go out there and tell our own story. And, and fortunately enough, in in this day and age brands now have the ability to speak directly to consumers. So I think that every brand should be taking that opportunity and should really maximize on, on that capability that we're offered now, which is why we decided to go direct to consumer. If you went to a retailer, you're really putting a lot of faith in them to then take your story and then tell it for you. And it's, it's easy if you're Nike or if you're Adidas and you're massive and everybody already knows what you're about. But when you're small, you really, you really have to, hit the nail on the head and, and make sure consumers understand why you're important and why they should care. And you can't guarantee that if you go through a retailer or any middleman for that matter. They use the same scientific approach when they were crafting their narrative for investor pitches. Oros has raised $9 million in venture capital so far. As they've presented to VCs, Rith and Michael had to learn quickly what was working and what wasn't. So they, you guessed it, tested things out. We're, we're first-time entrepreneurs going after um, you know, seven figures. The, and, you know, there's a lot you, there's a lot we knew and a lot we just didn't know. And um, one of the ways we learned was we pitched one story one way and then we saw how that resonated and then we pitched a story a little differently and then we saw how that resonated and then we um, talked about our, diff our business a little differently and then we saw how that resonated. Um, obviously, we weren't lying or anything like that. We weren't being facetious, but we were working through how best to deliver a story and do it concisely to where people really understand what we're doing and, and who we are and what makes us tick. Pitching to investors forced them to figure out what their brand hook was. They turned to consumer branding powerhouse, Gin Lane, to build their brand and narrative. Gin Lane is behind some of the biggest upstart challenger brands, including Hims, 
Sweetgreen, Harry's Razors, and more. Right off the bat, Michael and I were able to really do a good job of capturing that initial essence of who we were. But we knew that if we were going to try to take this business further and really um, open, open it up to where we told our story and we also made it very easy and relatable for anybody else that's out there that doesn't know us or, or doesn't have the opportunity to directly interact with us or, or our company. Um, we knew we had to go seek some professional help to really bring that to life. I think it was like this time last year, this time, so this time to 2018, we uh, started to look at a bunch of different branding agencies. We looked at everybody that had, um, you know, experience with massive fortune 500 companies down to people that were a handful of people, you know, one to five employees deep. And we looked at branding agencies that had multiple skills, skill sets, ones that like, like I said, do conventional, um, you know, big box retail for um, consumer packaged goods. Um, we looked at people that were just D2C brands. We looked at big people that did stuff for big companies, people that launched startups. And in that whole process, I think we went through and assessed maybe like 20 different agencies, actually met with about 10 different agencies all of them were great and can't, can't, definitely can't discount any of their work. What we ultimately found was Gin Lane was the one that really resonated with us. We told them who we were, what we did, what, what our viewpoint was on the world and on product and, you know, what we wanted to do with our technology and how we wanted to really bring that to the forefront of, of an industry that doesn't necessarily talk that type of uh, narrative. They just got it. And, and I actually remember we had flown into New York and our flight was delayed. So we only had 45 minutes with them rather than the two hours that we had with every other agency. And they got it that quickly that we still went with them. Like it was just one of those when you know, you know, kind of moments. Once you've got that brand created, you have to ensure that the brand is being represented consistently across all customer interactions. Delivering the brand consistently is a primary responsibility for Riff. He does this by making sure everyone on the team internally understands the brand values so that they all communicate it the same way externally. It all comes down to open communication and making sure from the get-go, everybody understands what we're working towards. Um, so that upfront alignment is key to making sure that everybody's work output really, really hits the mark as far as a brand perspective. Um, but taking that a step deeper, it's important to have a, a brand guy uh, a brand book or, or a set of guidelines that everybody has to follow. Um, so if you're doing anything for Oros, you have this type of font and this color palette that you play within. Um, if you are designing a product or a t-shirt or a jacket or whatever, this is the design language that we speak at Oros. And that way you can keep it really consistent and uh, tell that same story ubiquitously across every touch point of the brand. I think it's all about communication and upfront alignment and then having something tangible that people can always refer back to like a brand. Alignment on brand initiatives all points back to one thing for Riff. The number one thing, and this is another one of those things that I learned from making the mistakes myself is staying authentic to who you are. Again, very cheesy, very, such a very trite phrase in the world of branding, especially in D2C brands. But it's so easy to, to see something happen and be like, okay, yeah, that's done. Um, so moving on to the, next, to the next cool thing. Really staying authentic and not trying to be too cute about where you think you can go for growth reasons or money reasons or anything like that. 
I think authenticity is, is the number one key from a brand perspective. One example of how Oros has stayed authentic to their brand is in an upcoming collaboration with the very organization that inspired Rith and Michael to start Oros in the first place, NASA. It's going to be a super cool product collaboration between Oros and NASA, and what maybe makes ours a little bit cooler and adds that little bit of an X factor is the fact that we have technology that NASA actually used in space, um, you know, that's powering our, powering that product. Where we're trying to take the business and where we are taking the business is to, is to be more brand driven and have brand informed product and have brand informed marketing. Um, and the Oros NASA product collab is sort of our first attempt at doing just that. Like while it is, you know, bringing a innovative product to market and um, from a design aesthetic perspective, bringing a um, more uh, product with a stronger viewpoint to market, um, it's still all done within the lens of what we deem to be appropriate for the Oros brand. But staying authentic also means saying no to things that don't stay on brand. You know, in the past, we've, we've contemplated product extensions that were good natural fits for our technology, meaning, you know, we've got an ultra-insulating technology. There's tons of things in the world other than the human body that needs to be insulated. Think like a cooler or something like that. We've kicked around the idea of doing something along those lines. Think like a Yeti cooler or or a backpack cooler. And in the past, it didn't feel like the brand was at the point where we wanted to do something like that. So we just, we nixed it. Um, even though the opportunity felt like it was there and it felt like something we could really win in, it didn't feel like it would create a uh, synchronous brand experience. So we just decided to nix it entirely. No matter what product they choose to create, the use of Aerogel makes it a very technical product. There's the data and the scientific reasoning to make it logical why you'd buy the product. But the challenge in selling lifestyle consumer products isn't just naming all the facts and figures that make your products different. It's also about being intentional about finding ways that the brand can connect emotionally with customers. Rift touches on a tactic that's been proven successful for Oros. One of the big areas is, is just content. What are, you, what are you throwing out there, um, both visually and from a copy perspective, that gives people some really awesome insights into who you are as a brand and why they should really care about you. In this day and age, there's just so much stuff flying out there in the world that you, you really got to give people compelling reasons to, 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 to listen to you and then not only listen to you once, but come back for more and then come back for more. And, you know, eventually, hopefully they'll become a customer as well. It really falls down that, um, that path of, of building up your brand through storytelling and through content, sharing, with, sharing things with the people um, sharing things that people care about with the people that care about it. The biggest ways they gauge whether the brand and product is resonating or not is going directly to customers and simply asking. Your classic post-purchase surveys, um, you know, we'll, we'll run one a couple days after your product gets delivered to you, more to hear about what your experience was as it pertains to like our, our operations or our marketing or, you know, the actual um, delivery process to get you your product. And then, uh, a little bit after that, we'll have uh, we'll have another you know some uh, survey or post purchase email that asks you for a little bit of feedback on the product itself, and in there we'll ask a ton of different things like what you think about the fit, what you think about the um, color or the feature set, and then we'll also ask you know what do you wish was on it, and then um, sometimes we'll ask you know what product extensions do you want to see in the future. Um, so, for instance, last year, when we asked that question of what, what products do you want to see next year, the big resounding number one was gloves. 
So this year we introduced a new pair of gloves and uh, doing pretty well. So, you know, I, th I think there's a, there's a bunch of different ways. You can also get a lot from customer service. So just people directly reaching out to our, to our, cu our customer service team and then just telling us what they think. Typically there you'll, you hear more of the um, areas of improvement, but it, again, it's all great feedback. Um, same thing on social media, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you just get a bunch of feedback, both positive and negative. And regardless, it gives you more data points from which you can make decisions to improve your product or improve your offering. I would also caveat that with the feedback that you get is very contingent on the questions you ask. Meaning if you ask like, why didn't you like it? You'll get a, you'll get a shotgun spread of, of responses. If you ask, was the fit what do you think about the fit and not a scale too big or too small? Then you get a pretty good, you get a pretty good read and, and a good understanding of what people thought. I think the other, the other aspect of it is when you get all these individual data points, you have to aggregate them and actually sift through the data and understand the trends. You know, there's always going to be the one or two outliers for in any data set. And you can't let that dictate a decision you make. Like for instance, one person might say, the hood on a jacket's too small. Another person might say the hood is too big. Um, but if 90% of the people said it's too big and one person said it's too short, 10% uh, said it's too small, odds are it's probably too big. So it's, it's just keeping things within context as well. Pretty obvious stuff, but you know, I think it's, uh, it's important to aggregate all of your data and then, and then look at it as a whole. As a first time entrepreneur, Rith will admit that his early success is the result of seeking out mentors, advisors, and others he can learn from. I think it's really important to always have people around you that are smarter than you and to not shy away from that, to really embrace that because you'll just, you'll never grow if you don't have people that are around you that are more intelligent in their individual fields and, and that are really pushing you to get better and get better. Um, I think this goes back to that advisory board that I talked about earlier and even our board of directors and even our, our team of investors, they're all really, really, really bright men and women. So they push us, Michael and myself, like crazy. So um, in good ways. So it makes us better. It makes the company better and ultimately makes what we offer to our customers better. I think it all comes down to how relentlessly you're willing to work at something. I'm smart. I'm not the smartest person in the world. I'm not, would say the same thing about Michael. Like we're both intelligent guys. We're not really, really smart. We're not by far smarter than anybody else, but we are willing to work really hard for the things that we want. And I think that creates uh, uh, an, an infectious aura around the thing you're trying to build. So it's not even about us. It's about the idea and, and getting people behind that. And I think when you're working so hard towards it. Another person's working towards really hard towards it. And you can start to convince one or two or three or four or five other people. It becomes easier to attract more and more people, especially when they see that you're committed to it day in and day out. I think it's just that relentlessness keeps people, gets people attracted and keeps them coming. This is Yao Enning. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed creating it. Huge thanks to Rith for sharing his story. You can find out more about Oros at orosapparel.com. The Touchpoint series is brought to you by Malomo, 
a shipment tracking platform that lets retailers create magical moments that drive engagement with customers after they buy. To learn more about Malomo, go to www.gomalomo.com. That's G-O-M-A-L-O-M-O. To listen to other episodes in this series, search on your favorite podcasting app or visit gomalomo.com. <laughs>